Remember the 90s? When MTV still meant music television? When people still bought CDs? When legends like Chris Cornell and Dimebag Daryl still rocked the earth? Well, you can go back to those halcyon years regularly with Sounds Like Teen Spirit, the ultimate 90s radio show podcast. On each episode, I review and play from the latest albums by decade-defining artists like Pearl Jam, Megadeth, and Primus, and discuss current developments with those artists, all amid a playlist of 90s and 90s-adjacent music, of course. Again, that sounds like Teen Spirit. New episodes premiere Sundays, 8 to 10 p.m. on 89.9 KBGA Missoula, and past episodes are archived at kbga.org slash teen-spirit. I Get Wet. Welcome to the award-winning Sounds Like Teen Spirit on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. I'm your foolhardy host, Ian. This episode's got music from the likes of Sinead O'Connor, Iron Maiden, Space Monkeys, Temple of the Dog, Bikini Kill, A Tribe Called Quest, Dog Star, Sunny Day Real Estate, Bare Naked Ladies, and The Jesus and Mary Chain. Plus, I'm going to be reviewing and playing a song apiece from the new P.J. Harvey album, I Inside the Old Year Dying, released on July 7th, the new Blur album, The Ballad of Darren, released on July 21st, and the new Brad album, In the Moment That You're Born, and new Aphex Twin EP, Black Box Life Recorder 21F slash In a Room 7 F760, both released on the 28th. I'll start with Blur. Blur have undeniably come a long way from their beginnings as forefathers of the mid-90s Britpop movement. As such, their sound was defined pretty early on by cheery vocals, infectious guitar hooks, buoyant rhythms, and brisk, whimsical instrumental passages. The band gradually started to break away from Britpop with their 1997 self-titled, and their next three albums, 1999's 13, 2003's Think Tank, and 2015's The Magic Whip, were drastically experimental, incorporating elements of art rock, indie rock, electronica, and world music. 
However, despite Blur's ever-expanding sonic palette, the hallmarks of their default sound have remained coded to their DNA, and even the band's more eccentric and esoteric later offerings have fulfilled that career-long expectation for euphoria and nostalgic warmth from their music. Thus, I'm a little disheartened to report that almost none of those good feelings are present on the first new Blur album in eight years, 2023's The Ballad of Darren. In lieu of all the exuberance and whimsy that tend to cover the average Blur album, The Ballad of Darren opts for a more somber and melancholy tone and is over three quarters comprised of, well, ballads. I suppose it shouldn't be surprising that an album with the word ballad in its title is in fact chock full of them, and ballads are most certainly a key component to Blur's overall identity, with their vast library of singles including several noteworthy ballads like To The End, The Universal, No Distance Left To Run, and Under The West Way. But Blur albums are generally quite fun to listen to, or at the very least, interesting, and The Ballad of Darren, in stringing together a series of mostly slow and listless ballads with little variance or oomph among them, doesn't manage to be much of either. In fact, a good chunk of it actually feels like kind of a slog. Ultimately, the best songs on the album are the three singles released from it thus far, The Narcissist, St. Charles Square, and Barbaric. In all honesty, I wasn't really sure what to make of those songs the first time I heard them, but after subsequent spins, I must say I've really warmed up to them. They really are the most striking songs on the entire album, both on a standalone basis and in the context of a cover-to-cover listen. Lead single The Narcissist may just be one of many ballads on The Ballad of Darren, but it's also perhaps its liveliest, thanks to a strong, melodic vocal performance from Damon Albarn and uniquely poppy production. St. Charles Square is one of the only non-ballads on the album, making it an immensely valuable asset, and though I was rather caught off guard by it at first, I now find it to be weirdly catchy, even if it does feel like it's being deliberately performed out of key. Finally, Barbaric, issued as a single on the day of the album's release, is a decidedly mid-tempo number, not unlike St. Charles Square, but the two songs could hardly be more different from each other. Whereas St. Charles Square is almost like Blur doing their best impression of the Jesus Lizard, no joke, Barbaric finds the band channeling The Strokes, with a much cleaner production and more palatable indie rock sound. Props go to the rhythm section of Alex James and Dave Roundtree, who keep the song humming along at an agreeable clip, even if it never really pops off. The Ballad of Darren gets off to a promising enough start with opening ballad, The Ballad, which is undoubtedly one of the album's best ballads. Sure, it helps that the song gets to shoot first, but it is a genuinely enjoyable listen, built around a memorable refrain of, Oh, can't you see? When the ballad comes for you, it comes like me. Plus, it was clearly conceived as a bookend for this particular album, and it serves that purpose effectively. The song is immediately followed by the one-two mid-tempo punch of St. Charles Square and Barbaric. So far, not bad. If The Ballad of Darren was able to keep up the level of variety and general quality suggested by its first three tracks, it could have been a pretty solid comeback outing for Blur. Alas, the album proceeds to torpedo all of its momentum over the course of its remaining seven tracks. Yes, folks, it's all ballads from here on out. Look, even though it's not exactly my favorite type of song, don't get the wrong idea, I can absolutely get behind a good ballad. However, I feel that ballads are best used sparingly on a rock album, so that they afford the album a refreshing change of pace and make a stronger impression overall. Too many ballads in a row can easily grow tiresome. 
Blur certainly have the potential to craft an engaging album entirely out of ballads, but most of the ballads on this one are dull and interchangeable, and can't hold a candle to any of those prior ballad singles I rattled off earlier. The Everglades and Faraway Island may well be the same damn song as far as I can tell, and I know I've listened to Goodbye Albert multiple times, but I'm hard-pressed to remember even a single second of it. Albarn's vocal delivery on the album sometimes gets so weary and lazy it's almost as if his own material is putting him to sleep, and Graham Coxon's guitar is often shoved into the background in favor of lovely but decidedly unrocking orchestral strings and piano keys. To make matters worse, The Ballad of Darren is Blur's shortest album by far, clocking in at barely over 36 minutes. All previous Blur albums have been at least 50 minutes in length, and although not all of them needed to be quite so long, The Ballad of Darren doesn't make efficient enough use of its time to earn the right to bow out so early. The addition of a few mid- to up-tempo rockers to the tracklist could have gone a long way towards resolving both of the album's major problems. There's even one such song amid the album's own bonus tracks, the delightful mid-90s throwback, The Rabbi. Would have been nice if there was more where that came from. Ultimately, it may end up proving to be a slow grower, but between its atypically short length and over-reliance on repetitive balladry, I'm inclined to call The Ballad of Darren Blur's weakest album to date. Alright, next I'm going to play one of the album's two non-ballads, that aforementioned third single, Barbaric. Enjoy! Tree. 
This portion of KBGA is brought to you by Imagination Brewing Company. By supporting over 1,700 community events and its educational center, Imagination brews handcrafted beer to make a positive impact on Missoula and beyond. For more information about what's on tap, weekly live music offerings, or to reserve the center, call 406-926-1251 or visit imaginationbrewing.com.
Sherman Young with a laid-back tongue. The aim is to succeed and achieve at 21. Just like Ringling Brothers, our days in a sound. Captivate the mass, cause the pros is profound. Do it for the strong, we do it for the meek. Boomin' in your boomin' in your boomin' in your Jeep Or your Honda or your Beamer or your Legend or your Benz The rave of the town to your foes and your friends So push it along, trails we blaze Don't deserve the gong, don't deserve the praise The tranquility will make you unball your fists For we put hip-hop on a brand new twist A brand new twist with a whole heap of mystic So low-key that you probably missed it But yet it's so loud that it stands in the crowd When the guy takes the beat, they bowed so raise up, squire, adjust your attire. We have no time to wallow in the mire. If you're on a foreign path, then let me do the lead. Join in the essence of the cool I breed. The cool out to the music, cause it makes you feel serene. With the birds and the bees and all those groovy things like getting stomach aches when you gotta go to work or staring into space when you're feeling berserk. I don't really mind if it's over your head, cause the job of resurrectors is to wake up the dead. So pay attention, it's not hard to decipher. And after the horns, you can check out the viper. Sideways, but competition them must come straight way. Competition them try to come sideways, but competition they must come straight way. How's about that? It seems like it's my turn again. All through the years, my mic has been my best friend. I know some brothers wonder, can fight for really kick it? Some even wanna diss me, but why sweat it? I'm all into my music cause that's how I make tapes. Try to make hits like it could be makes tapes. Me sweat another, I do my own thing. Strictly hardcore tracks, not a new jack swing. I grew up as a Christian, so to die I give thanks, collect my bangs, listen to shabarangs, I sing and chat, I do all of that, it's 1991 and I refuse to come back, I take off my hat to other crews that tend to rock, but the low end theory's here, it's time to wreck shop, I got tip and shot, so whom shall I fear, stop looking, listen, but please don't stare, suggest to the store and buy the LP, or drive RCA, cassettes and CDs, produced and arranged by the four-man crew, and oh shit. Skeff and Slim, he gets props too. <laughs> Make sure you have a system with some fat house speakers so yeah. the new shish can rock uh. from Boston Master Pequa. Uh. Cause where I come from, quality is job one. And everybody up on me, you know we get, get the, the job, job done. done. So peace to that crew, yeah. and peace to this crew. Bring yeah. on the tour, we'll see you at a theater nearest you. Hey yo, but wait, back it up. Huh. Easy, back it up. Please let the abstract embellish on the cut. Back and forth just like a cameo song. If you dig this joint, then please come dance along to the music, cause it's done just for the line. Now I gotta scat and get mine. Underline the jazz. The what? The jazz to move that ass for the job originates. That feeling of pizzazz is a universal sound. Bless the brothers on the ground and the one six below. You didn't have to go. So say that I'm a subject, cause I was hat at orgy. And sometimes for breakfast, I eat grits and porgies. If this is a stinker, then call me a stink. I ask. Now check it out, all my peoples in Queens, you don't stop Now all my peoples in Brooklyn, you don't stop And all my peoples uptown, you don't stop That includes the Bronx and Harlem, you don't stop Now to that girl Rommel, you don't stop I said because ladies first, you don't stop And to the JBs, you don't stop And they lost soul, you don't stop And to my brand new Beans, you don't stop And to my leaders of the new, you don't stop And to my man, Lars Professor, you don't stop Rock for the beat, you don't stop Everybody in the place, you don't stop You keep it on to the rhythm, you don't stop And last but not least, on the short shot It's the Zulu Nation 
Switch Radio.
Flag with You to Do the Same off their 1996 album Die for the Government. Anti Flag swiftly and unexpectedly broke up last month after 35 years and 13 studio albums. On July 20th, the band deleted their website and social media pages from the internet and shared a short statement announcing their breakup to their page on the crowdfunding platform Patreon, which gave no further information other than that the Patreon page would also be deleted once refunds had been processed to all patrons. Naturally, many fans felt blindsided by this turn of events, given that the band had just issued their most recent album earlier this year and were due to embark on a European tour with Dropkick Murphys the following week. However, the publications Stereo Gum and Us Weekly quickly connected the breakup to an episode of the podcast Enough, a forum for women to share their stories of sexual assault and abuse in the music industry, that was published the day before. On this episode, a woman gave a harrowing account of rape at the hands of, quote, a singer in a political punk band, and though she doesn't name the individual or the band, fans on the Anti-Flag subreddit used details from the story to deduce that the perpetrator was most likely Anti-Flag frontman Justin Sane. In the days to follow, several bands under Anti-Flag's independent record label, AF Records, announced that they would be leaving the label. Finally, on July 26th, both Sane and the remaining three members of Anti-Flag issued separate statements addressing the breakup and sexual assault allegations. As one would expect, Sane's statement vehemently denied the allegations, claiming them to be, quote, categorically false and antithetical to everything he has always stood for as a person and musician. He also stated that, quote, in regard to anti-flag disbanding, as a band, the decision was made that under these circumstances, it would be impossible to continue. That reasoning is echoed in the statement released by the other three members, which reads, A core tenet of the band anti-flag is to listen to and believe all survivors of sexual violence and abuse. The recent allegations about Justin are in direct contradiction to that tenet. Therefore, we felt the only immediate option was to disband. Though they go on to say that, in the last 30 years, we have never seen Justin be violent or aggressive toward women. They also admit that, it is taking time for us to process the situation, and that, this experience has shaken us to our core. While the fact that Anti-Flag disbanded and scrubbed their entire web presence immediately seems to imply guilt, their position is a bit more complicated than most others in such a scenario, as alluded to in both statements. See, Anti-Flag were always an overtly left-wing band, having consistently championed liberal values and causes in their music. Heck, they even have a song called Feminism is for Everybody, with a beating heart and functioning brain. Given what this band represents, and the audience that they play to, there's a lot less room for them to receive the benefit of the doubt. Even the stigma of being potentially connected to such a horrible crime as rape is enough to kill any band of their ilk. As for my personal feelings on the matter, although I don't wish to cast aspersions without any evidence beyond the circumstantial, I really can't argue with the court of public opinion here. Regardless whether or not Justin Sane is guilty, though, I must say I really truly feel for his former bandmates, who are now facing the sobering realization that a longtime friend and colleague of theirs may actually be a monster, and who basically had their entire legacy ripped away from them at once based on actions they had nothing to do with. Oh, and I should probably add that if anyone out there is feeling leery about my apparent choice to precede this report with a song on which a probable rapist repeatedly sings, You'd Do the Same, you may feel better to know that that song was actually sung by former bassist Andy Flagg. Anyway, before Anti-Flagg, I played Presidici by the Jesus and Mary Chain off their 2017 album Damage and Joy. 
Night Flight to Paris by Local H off their 2012 album Hallelujah, I'm a Bum. Jazz by A Tribe Called Quest off their 1991 album The Low End Theory. Say Hello to Heaven by Temple of the Dog off their 1991 self-titled. And Aces High by Iron Maiden off their 1984 album Power Slave. Once again, you're listening to Sounds Like Teen Spirit on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. To like the show on Facebook, go to facebook.com slash slts2. And to hear this and other episodes of the program after the broadcast, go to kbga.org slash teen-spirit. Alright, next I'm going to review and play a song from the new PJ Harvey album, I Inside the Old Year Dying. On the alternative scene... P.J. Harvey stands as the feminine counterpart to Beck in the sense that she, too, is perpetually reinventing herself. Her 30-plus year discography encompasses such disparate genres as grungy alt-rock, indie rock, punk, folk, blues, baroque pop, chamber music, and electronica. And just like Beck, she changes up her style on almost an album-to-album basis. True to form, Harvey's first new album in seven years, I Inside the Old Year Dying, represents yet another stylistic shift for her music. Rather than taking after 2016's The Hope Six Demolition Project, as pure an indie rock album as Harvey's ever done, I Inside the Old Year Dying pivots hard into folk territory. Harvey previously dabbled in folk music on her 2011 album Let England Shake, but this album occupies a different sphere of folk. The former is a more accessible, more guitar-driven style of folk music, whereas Harvey's latest is best characterized as ambient folk, with its warmer, more subdued, and more experimental sound. The album's first two singles gave me the impression that it was largely going to take after the stylings of Aussie folk legends Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, which certainly tracks. Harvey once collaborated with the band on their 1996 album Murder Ballads and dated Cave for about a year following that, so it's not hard to imagine that kind of music being in her bones. However, while the new album does indeed bear a good deal of resemblance to Nick Cave, it ended up reminding me at least just as much of Radiohead. Like basically every Radiohead album from Kid A onward, I Inside the Old Year Dying is strange, intimate, evocative, ambitiously artful, and defiantly uncommercial. Also like the average 21st century Radiohead album, it is very much a cohesive body, aka my term for the kind of album whose songs play better as part of a cover-to-cover listen than on a standalone basis. Even though these songs aren't exactly joined together at the hip, there is a high degree of consistency and harmony between them that keep the album flowing fluidly from one song to the next. However, I found that most tracks left something to be desired when consuming them individually. In truth, this is far from my favorite shade of P.J. Harvey. As you may suspect, I personally tend to prefer the albums where she rocks a little harder, and this one really could have stood to benefit from more of the musical dynamism that prevails in her strongest works. That being said, Harvey's ever-present falsetto on the album is arrestingly beautiful, not unlike Tom York's, and I can absolutely see the appeal the album would hold to listeners of the right persuasion. Furthermore, there are at least a handful of tracks that stand well enough on their own, such as Scene and I and The Nether Edge, a pair of back-to-back numbers both held aloft by Harvey's deft and nuanced vocal performance, Lonesome Tonight, which is perhaps the album's most immediately accessible song and would have made for a powerful closer, and the surprisingly clamorous actual closer A Noiseless Noise, which somewhat approximates the sounds of the aforementioned Let England Shake. All in all, 
I Inside the Old Year Dying is decidedly not for everyone, not even all of PJ Harvey's existing fans, but it demonstrates the capacity to be a steady grower and will likely prove incredibly rewarding to its intended audience. Alright, I think this next song I'm going to play would have to be my favorite from the album. As is also the case with much of the album's songs, its lyrics are rather nonsensical and in fact almost remind me of the classic Lewis Carroll poem Jabberwocky. That said, Harvey's falsetto on this one is utterly show-stopping. This is The Nether Edge. Enjoy! Some must watch or some must sleep 
C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, B, G, A, L, O, F, O, S, T, U, V, X, Y, your Z.
time to get tuned up. Hold on to your lug nuts, it's time for an overhaul! 89.9 KBGA.
This is Silver Sprocket, host of Something Else, live every Wednesday from 8 to 10 p.m. right here on KBGA Missoula 89.9 FM. I feature avant-garde, electroacoustic, free jazz, and more creative music every week. You'll get to hear advanced new releases straight from the artists and record labels before anybody else and extensive interviews with the artists themselves. How about you give something else a try? Live every Wednesday from 8 to 10 p.m. on KBGA Missoula, 89.9 FM, and streaming at kbga.org.
Sinead O'Connor with I Am Stretched on Your Grave off her 1990 album I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got. On this episode of Sounds Like Teen Spirit, we mourn the loss of Irish singer-songwriter Sinead O'Connor, who was found dead in her South London home on July 26th at the age of 56. Though her cause of death is still unconfirmed, it's widely believed to have been suicide. O'Connor struggled with mental health issues all throughout her life, including bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, PTSD, and agoraphobia, and these struggles have sometimes resulted in long periods of inactivity in her music career, not to mention multiple attempts on her own life. In January of 2022, her problems were compounded by the suicide of her 17-year-old son Shane, the second youngest of her four children. In the days following his death, she published a series of concerning tweets suggesting that she couldn't go on living anymore and soon checked into a hospital on her own volition. The timing of her death roughly a year and a half later potentially suggests that she was never able to recover from that devastating loss. Sinead O'Connor became a fixture of the alternative rock and pop scenes of the late 80s and early 90s, starting with the release of her 1987 debut album, The Lion and the Cobra. Her big breakthrough came with her sophomore album, 1990's I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got, which boasted the hit single Nothing Compares to You, a cover of a song originally written by Prince for his short-lived side project The Family. The single climbed to number one on the charts in the US, UK, Ireland, Germany, Switzerland, Austria, Australia, New Zealand, Italy, and the Netherlands, so its success really cannot be overstated. Almost as much as for her music, O'Connor was well known for her political and humanitarian activism. She was a lifelong advocate for women's rights, racial equality, mental health care, child welfare, and more, and she steadfastly refused to sell out or compromise her public image in ways that were at odds with her values. In fact, she willfully sabotaged her career in the early 90s with a protest of the Catholic Church on Saturday Night Live. O'Connor was a musical guest on the program in 1992, and at the end of her second song, she tore up a photo of Pope John Paul II and told viewers to, quote, fight the real enemy. She did this specifically to protest the systemic pattern of child sex abuse within the Catholic Church, which would not break as a scandal for about another decade. It was an inadvisably bold move to badmouth the church during a live sketch comedy show 30 years ago, Hell, it still kind of would be today, and O'Connor paid a heavy price for it, but she never looked back on that moment with regret. In an interview given years later, she was quoted as saying, People say, oh, you've puffed up your career, but they're talking about the career they had in mind for me. I've puffed up the house in Antigua that the record company dudes wanted to buy. I puffed up their career, not mine. Ultimately, O'Connor released 10 albums in her lifetime, the most recent being 2014's I'm Not Bossy, I'm the Boss. At the beginning of 2022, she was set to mount a comeback tour and release a new album titled No Veteran Dies Alone, which she supposedly completed work on the previous year. However, she ended up canceling the tour and indefinitely shelving the album in light of her son's death. I'm almost certain that the album will be released posthumously at some point, especially given its finished state, and I will be sure to tell you all about it when it happens. In the meantime, all that's left for me to say is, rest in peace, Sinead O'Connor. May your legacy of character and influence endure through the ages. Anyway, before Sinead O'Connor, I played Hooker with a Neatness by Tool off their 1996 album Anima, Get It Back by Pearl Jam off their 2020 single of the same name, 
Drive In, Drive Out by the Dave Matthews Band off their 1996 album Crash. Ready for the Rampage by Space Monkeys off their 1997 album The Daddy of Them All. And Ditto Head by Slayer off their 1994 album Divine Intervention. You're still listening to Sounds Like Teen Spirit on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. To like the show on Facebook, go to facebook.com slash slts2. And to hear this and other episodes of the program after the broadcast, go to kbga.org slash teen-spirit. Alright, next I'm going to review and play from the new Aphex Twin EP, Black Box Life Recorder 21F slash In a Room 7 F760. I may be a little out of my depth when it comes to reviewing electronica, but even I can recognize that Richard D. James, aka Aphex Twin, knows exactly what the hell he's doing. There's no denying he's brilliant at marketing himself in a way that commands attention and sets himself apart from the rest of the flock. Between his tendency to plaster his own face all over his stuff, often sporting an unsettling toothy grin, his use of creepy and bizarre imagery in his music videos and stage shows, such as pelvic thrusting teddy bears and whatever the hell that thing from the Come to Daddy video was, and song titles that often look indistinguishable from lines of code, James appears to be going out of his way to make his music seem as intimidating as possible, but in reality these efforts usually only have the effect of piquing one's curiosity. Fortunately, in his case, the product tends to live up to the packaging most of the time, From a musical standpoint, it's clear that James really gets electronica, as his various hallmarks, like pulsating beats, drum machine wizardry, and layers upon layers of intricate, sometimes contrasting sounds, typically come together to deliver something ear-catchingly fascinating. As one would hope, the newly released Aphex Twin EP, Black Box Life Recorder 21F slash In A Room 7 F760, finds James once again doing that thing he does that he has perfected to a science over his 30-plus years of doing it. I just wish he could have done a little more of it. Black Box Life Recorder consists of four tracks, the two that comprise the EP's title, a remix of the former, and another called Zin 2 Test 5. None of these tracks get any longer than four and a half minutes, and the whole thing clocks in at under 15. I feel like this release would have benefited from having more time to stretch its legs. I realize it's merely an EP, and not even an especially short one at that, but the last Aphex Twin EP, 2018's Collapse, was almost twice as long and had a bit more going on musically. That's not to say the music on this one is weak, mind you. As I was saying earlier, Richard D. James has it all figured out. Black Box Life Recorder sounds very much in keeping with the restless, percussion-heavy style of Collapse and is a consistently pleasing listen. However, the songs here don't feel all that different from one another or throw any particularly striking curveballs into the mix. In fact, they all seem pretty much like variants or extensions of the same song, which is certainly fine for an electronica release, except there isn't really any traceable sonic journey between these four tracks, and even if there were, 14 and a half minutes wouldn't make for much of a journey anyway. Nonetheless, Black Box Life Recorder 21F slash In A Room 7 F760 packs in enough audio candy to appease Aphex Twin fans, and although it's unlikely to stand out for any of them amid Richard D. James's vast body of work, they'd still do well to give it a spin. Alright, this next track I'm going to play is perhaps my favorite from the EP. It is certainly the most energetic of the four, though again the differences are subtle, and the cowbell on this one absolutely slaps. How many other electronica songs can you say that about? Not enough, quite frankly. This is the song comprising the second half of the EP's title, In a Room 7 F760. Enjoy!
Now that I'm barren, KBGA is my baby. <laughs> and I'm an overbearing mother. Clean your room. Put your friend's mom on the phone. Floss harder. Just like your father. Straighten your back. Those grades aren't Ivy League. I said keep it locked to 89.9 KBGA Missoula.
hard as an 80s metal hair band thinks they are. Here I am. Rock you like a hurricane. College radio is 89.9 FM. KBGA. Missoula. Color. 
Dog Star with Our Little Visionary off their 1996 album of the same name. Dog Star reunited earlier this year, more than two decades after breaking up, and if you're struggling to remember who they are, it may help to jar your memory when I say that they're the band that notably features Keanu Reeves on bass. Dog Star initially formed in 1991 after a chance encounter between Reeves and founding drummer Robert Mailhouse, another actor, at a supermarket in L.A. By this point, Reeves was already an established star, having acted in over a dozen films, including the first two Bill and Ted movies and Point Break. The band's lineup was rounded out with singer-slash-guitarist Greg Miller, who would leave and be replaced by Brett Domros in just a few short years. Dogstar released two albums and one EP before their breakup in 2002, when Reeves found himself unable to continue juggling his acting and music careers. To his credit, he tried to keep the band going as long as he could, You'll note that the breakup occurred three years after his career-making role in The Matrix. Even after the breakup, though, the trio would still periodically meet up for jam sessions at Mailhouse's home in Silver Lake. One such session happened to occur around the start of the COVID-19 pandemic in March 2020, and so the band ended up quarantining together for a while, putting in eight-hour rehearsal days and, before long, writing music for a new album. Dogstar officially announced their reunion on Instagram in 2022 and played their first show in over 20 years at the Bottle Rock Napa Valley Festival this past May. The band is now on a 25-date tour that kicked off just last week in Hermosa Beach, and they will be dropping their third studio album this fall. The album is titled Somewhere Between the Power Lines and Palm Trees and scheduled for release on October 6th. Last month, the band debuted the album's lead single, Everything Turns Around, accompanied by their first ever music video. 
Although Dogstar had more of a grungy sound on their early releases, they began transitioning into post-grunge alt-rock with their 2000 sophomore album Happy Ending, and the new single takes them even further in that direction, evoking such mid-to-late 90s bands as Tonic and Better Than Ezra. It ain't exactly Wild Stallions, but it'll do! I intend to review and play from the new Dogstar album on an upcoming episode of Sounds Like Teen Spirit, so look out for that in about a couple months. Anyway, before Dogstar, I played Demi Rep by Bikini Kill off their 1998 compilation The Singles, Drag the Waters by Pantera off their 1996 album The Great Southern Trend Kill, Guitar and Video Games by Sunny Day Real Estate off their 1998 album How It Feels to Be Something On, and Alternative Girlfriend by Bare Naked Ladies off their 1994 album Maybe You Should Drive. And that about wraps up a gauche episode of Sounds Like Teen Spirit on 89.9 KVGA Missoula. I've been your host, Ian. I'm concluding this one by reviewing and playing a song from the new Brad album, In the Moment That You're Born. Well, folks, this is a somewhat surreal week for new album reviews. In one corner, we have Blur, a band known for a fairly upbeat Britpop sound, putting out a new album of mostly slow and sad songs. And in the other corner, there's Brad, a band with a generally softer, more soulful touch, whose new album is actually kind of a rager. For those of you who are now going, huh, Brad? Which, in all honesty, is fair enough. Brad is a band that emerged from the burgeoning Seattle grunge scene of the early 90s and notably features Pearl Jam rhythm guitarist Stone Gossard on lead guitar. They were something of an anomaly of the scene, though. In contrast to the heavy, fuzzy, guitar-driven sound of their peers, Brad's sound was largely influenced by 70s funk and R&B, which lent itself more to sweet, soothing ballads and lightly funky mid-tempo groovers built around the smooth, angelic vocal stylings of atypical Seattle singer Sean Smith. However, the newly released Brad album, In the Moment That You're Born, the band's first in over 11 years, is just about as much of a grunge album as you might expect from a band of Brad's era and pedigree, with Gossard's guitar taking up a notably more prominent position on this outing. Whereas the new Blur album features entirely too many ballads, the new one from Brad, if anything, doesn't feature enough, at least relative to a typical Brad release. It certainly doesn't shortchange listeners in that department, though, with four of the album's ten tracks, Straight to the Hoop, Meadow and Autumn, Take Me Back Home, and Simple Subtraction, being undeniable ballads. However, on the other end of the spectrum, the tracks Pieces of Sky in My Hand, Stars in You, and Hey Now What's the Problem are all downright heavy. And the remaining three, the atmospheric opening title track, the bass-driven Without Guns, and the Pearl Jam-esque I'm Digging You are all on the heavier side of mid-tempo. Musically speaking, In the Moment That You're Born is about as varied as grunge albums ever get, with each song bringing something unique to the fold and Brad's soulful side leaving enough of a mark to set the album apart from its contemporaries. Even the four ballads are distinct enough from one another to make their individual impacts. I suppose the most important thing this album needed to accomplish, though, was being a powerful final showcase for the late Sean Smith. Folks, I know I'm kind of bearing the lead here, but in the moment that you're born was in fact a posthumous release following the 2019 death of Smith at age 53 due to a torn aorta and high blood pressure. The surviving members labored over the past few years to complete the song Smith had been working on when he died for one last Brad album in tribute to their fallen singer. All in all, I would say they did a commendable job building something that accentuates Smith's talents as both a vocalist and pianist, provided that's actually him covering most of the keys on the album as he typically did for Brad. 
Smith's voice doesn't sound quite as soft or sweet here as it often did on past Brad albums, and this one is relatively lacking in his signature heavenly falsetto, but the overall smoothness and proficiency of his voice remain ever apparent. His most shining moments on the album include the immaculately tender Take Me Back Home, on which most of the album's falsetto makes for some truly haunting backing vocals, the urgent belting and mournful keys that together drive straight to the hoop, a Mother Love Bone-esque power bow that would have undoubtedly made the late Andrew Woods smile, and the hard-driving, take-no-prisoners attitude he projects on Stars and You, which is in fact a cover of Woods' earlier band Malfunction. In general, it's actually rather gratifying hearing Smith kick ass all throughout this decidedly more kick-ass Brad outing, even if that doesn't feel like the most appropriate angle for his final bow. Ultimately, In the Moment That You're Born isn't the most innovative album ever, but it is an engaging and well-balanced listen that furthers the legend of Sean Smith and caps off Brad's discography on a high. Alright, I know I've been hyping up all the rockers throughout this review, but given that this is the end of the show, and of Brad, I deemed it best to close out on a ballad that highlights Smith in his element. This last song is another of Smith's most shining moments, between his gentle crooning and a memorable piano melody that I have to assume was entirely his doing. Oh, and at the end, this one kind of turns into a bop. Without further ado, here's Meadow in Autumn. Rest easy, Missoula. Thank you. 
know how much she means to you Shining oceans and skies so blue Asking guidance to give you what you need da 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 da